Our lesson is taken from selected parts of chapter 11 and chapter 12 of the Gospel according to John. This is one of the most dramatic, powerful scenes in all of the Bible. It's the seventh sign in the Gospel of John because it's the great, powerful demonstration of Jesus' victory over death in the resurrection of Lazarus. And this precedes, of course, his own resurrection uh, from the dead. Let me begin reading uh, at verse 17 of the 11th chapter. Uh, Jesus had, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary sat still in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother shall live again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary arose quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stink, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, 
Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing here, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrapping, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And then from the twelfth chapter, Jesus therefore six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was raised, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary therefore took a pound of very costly, genuine, spikered ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Jesus said, let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you but you do not have me always. Amen. May God therefore add to us a blessing from this reading from his word. And now let us worship. Amazing to me the things that people believe who go outside of scripture. For instance, actor Glenn Ford believes that before being reincarnated, he had been a Christian martyr eaten by a lion. Loretta Lynn the country singer, the coal miner's daughter, believes that she had been a Cherokee princess in another life. Shirley MacLaine believes that she had been beheaded by Louis XV. Sylvester Stallone believes that he may have been a monkey in Guatemala in a previous life. That's believable. That's Rocky and Rambo. But... <laughs> Uh, some of the things that people uh, dabble with today uh, about uh, uh, reincarnation. The only reincarnation that I believe in is that which we sing at Christmas time. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. That's the kind you can believe in. There is no scriptural warrant for any such nonsense as what I've just read to you from uh, what some Hollywood personalities believe. But when we come into the Gospels, as Alan said a moment ago, when he was speaking uh, in his own testimony, I had thought he was going to tell you about that adventure in an airplane. He's a tremendous pilot. But he had an awful thing happen. Uh, when the engines cut off and you have a plane load of passengers and you have to land that airplane on an interstate highway and he went through a terrible uh, uh, airplane crash and God brought many people that would have been killed through a terrible experience 
and they were able to live. Uh, Lee Sechrist, who spoke a moment ago, went through a seven-hour brain operation. That, too, is a harrowing experience through which you pass. Some of the rest of us have gone through experiences also where we come close to death and we look for the Lord of life. Last Sunday, when I read to you from uh, the book In the Presence of Mine Enemy, we saw a man in Vietnam who, surrounded by death, begin to search for life. Here, our Lord Jesus Christ, leading up to the tremendous event of his own resurrection from the dead, to demonstrate and to show to all who he was and the authority and the power that he brought, gives us his experience. The experience that comes to Lazarus when he is brought forth from the dead. There are several things that I want to bring out from this, and then I want to, uh, to touch on how we give Jesus preeminence in our life, how we may witness to him in various ways, and the happiness that he brings when Jesus comes. So let's go back to this. First of all, there, by the way, this past week when I was taking one of our little communicants home from the Tuesday afternoon communicants class, uh, Bethany King, who is nine years old, we, we were, I was taking her uh, to drop her off at her house, and we had a we have very interesting conversation. And uh, so we were talking about Bible names, and she reminded me, of course, that she has a little brother named Nathan, and that's a good Bible name, and that she has a, a sister named Rebecca, and that's a good Bible name. And uh, then uh, uh, I said, your name is Bethany, and she said, yes, I'm named for a town. <laughs> I thought that demonstrated a pretty good knowledge of the Bible. And I said it was a very happy town, and it was a happy family. Uh, Jesus uh, often went to Bethany. A wonderful name. You see sometimes churches that are called Bethany Fellowship or Bethany Presbyterian or Bethany Baptist or whatever. That's because of the happy family life that Jesus found in Bethany. We are told very plainly here in the Gospel of John that Jesus loved Martha, and Jesus loved Mary, and Jesus loved Lazarus. This was a home to which he would often go, and from which he drew strength. Our Lord said on one occasion that the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He meant by that that he had no home of his own. But he also uh, wants us to know that there were people who invited him to be the guest in their home and from whom he drew strength and comfort. And I'm sure he also brought a blessing to them. A wise psychiatrist with many years of experience once told me years ago that he often recommended to people who were going through uh, depression or crisis or conflict that they go into a home that was well-ordered, into a home where there was happiness and cheer and love, and that they could gain from that home strength that would help them in their time of crisis. And that's just good common sense. Uh, we can uh, feel and we can sense and feel that when we go to such a home. Well, Jesus came to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Well, how do they witness for him, and what's preeminent 
here and how do we see this happiness come forth? First of all, uh, I think that it's important for us to remember that God has his own way of answering prayer in the time that he chooses. Uh, they sent word to Jesus when Lazarus fell sick. And that's a terrifying thing. These two sisters saw their brother one day become ill. He became sicker. They tried the medicines that they could to uh, help him. They probably sent for whatever doctors there were. And then they sent for Jesus. And uh, they sent the word to him, He whom thou lovest is sick. We are told that when Jesus received this word, that he stayed in the place where he was. This could have created some consternation, and it's hinted at in Martha's part, because she almost chides him later when he does go to Bethany. Our Lord has his own purposes. God will be glorified even through illness, because he is victor over death, and he is victor over disease, and victor over sickness. And so he will gain for himself a victory here. And in this home, away from home, where he uh, was much loved, he receives this word and then delays. And I'm sure that they, they were disappointed in this delay. And then Jesus came. And the situation has changed. Uh, you get some wonderful hints. Those of you who are good students of Scripture will want to remember these things. You can tell this, by the way, must have been a wealthy home. You know, one of the hints of that is not only in the uh, expensive uh, spikenard ointment, which uh, Mary will use later uh, in anointing Jesus' uh, feet, but also the fact that there were many mourners. Uh, a rich person often has a lot of friends who come to their funeral. And there were mourners that were often hired. And one of the hints there is that a great crowd of people were coming. Uh, so Lazarus people must have been people of, of wealth. Uh, this may have been uh, in Simon the leper's uh, house, but... Uh, we know that th there was money in this house because of the size of it, the numbers of people that come, the cost of the ointment that's there. Uh, Jesus came, and when he comes, Martha comes out to meet him. Now, Martha, I think, gets a, a bad rap in the press, so to speak. Uh, Martha was a good soul. Uh, she loved Jesus, and she expresses her love to him. She had great faith in him. She makes this tremendous statement here. We hear people all the time saying, uh, I, I want a, a merry mind, uh, but I have Martha's hand. Well, Jesus said to her, uh, when she, she had said to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That gives us a little hint of her personality. Once she, in Luke 10, she uh, uh, comes to Jesus one day and says that she's trying to prepare uh, food for all of these people that are there, and I guess if the 12 apostles were there and then uh, some other people, it would have been a lot of work, and she said to Jesus, why don't you go get my uh, sister to come and help me? Uh, and Jesus uh, gives us a little hint as to her personality by saying, Martha, Martha, the, the double 
uh, your name is uh, instructive because uh, he loves her and it's an affectionate term that he uses, but he sees that she is uh, a little fuss budget, so to speak. And she's a little fussy too much. She wants too many things prepared and all has to be done just right. And, you know, there are certain people that you almost give a nervous breakdown to if you go and visit them because they want everything done a certain way. And she may have been a little bit this way. But Jesus loves her. And uh, she comes out to see Jesus. And she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now all of us are going to die unless the Savior comes back. He will not always answer our prayers the way we want them answered and in the time that we want them answered. That's a very sensible statement. Uh, and the Jews, by the way, make some comments about this. They say, could not this man who made the blind to see have also kept this person from dying? Certainly he could have. But he had purposes. God is working his purposes out uh, in this experience. And we must trust him. Resign ourselves to his love and care. We have a right to ask, but he will answer in his way, and he will answer for his glory. So uh, Jesus asked her, uh, Jesus gave her that great statement, by the way, one of the great I am statements, I am the resurrection and the life. Now Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Buddha, Confucius, Mohammed, no one ever said anything like that. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I'd like to go around to some seminaries and ask that question. Do you believe this? I believe it. If I didn't, I wouldn't preach. It would be utter stupidity to me. Ben Hayden whose picture was on the cover of a magazine that I saw this week, a television preacher, said that if he had been there and had seen it with his own eyes, he wouldn't have believed it until a miracle took place in Ben Hayden's heart. And then God led him to believe. Now that same miracle is to take place here. They argue with Jesus, could not this man who... Uh, made the blind to see have kept this man from dying. He gives her the great I am statement, and then he asks her the question, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who was to come into the world. You always get these people who come around saying, did Jesus anywhere claim to be God? Yes. Right here. And in John 5, this is why John wrote his whole book, that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, he who is to come into the world. And now he goes and brings Mary, and Mary comes, uh, and she comes to the feet of Jesus. And uh, she almost reiterates what Martha has said. And then they come to this, a deeply moving scene at the tomb, or where they come up to the grave, uh, up to this tomb in which a stone is rolled in front of it. And we see several things here that are interesting. Jesus is not a stoic. A stoic is someone who does not show emotion. 
or feeling. This is no Zeno. Zeno was the great Stoic philosopher. This is no Zeno. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Why did he weep? He wept because he knows the pain and the heartache and the sorrow that come to people. He wept. And then Jesus comes to this tomb, and he says, remove the stone. Martha, the very practical-minded Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. He did not want to embarrass Jesus. Don't worry about embarrassing Jesus. Raising a dead man. This is a tremendous thing. Martha says, by this time there will be a stench. He raises three people that we see in Scripture. One is a little girl who just dies when he's on the way to the house. And you remember what he says to Lethe Kumi. Little girl, rise. And she rises. Then there is that account in the seventh chapter of Luke where the widow of Nain is in a funeral procession and they're taking uh, her son, her only son, out to bury him, and Jesus stops the funeral procession and raises that young man from the dead. Now here is a man who has been dead four days. Four days. Now are you more dead the first day than the fourth day? And I want to say that for this reason. The Bible says that until we are born again, we are dead in trespasses and sin. You read it in the book of Ephesians in the second chapter. You who were dead in trespasses and sin. You read it again in Colossians. And there are people who say to me, do you mean that as moral and as fine as I am, that I am a sinner like those people on Skid Row, or those drug addicts, or some of the others. Just the difference in the number of days. You're just as dead. If you're outside of Christ, you may look a little better because you're fresher. But you're dead. You're dead in trespasses and sin. Well, Jesus speaks. I, I, I wish I really had time to get into this because... John Calvin, the great uh, theologian of Geneva. John Calvin says here that when Jesus cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Why does he do that? Dead man can't hear any better if you call with a loud voice. He calls with a loud voice because Calvin says that it's like the shout of a challenger to an enemy. He is calling out to death and challenging death. And he wins. He calls with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now he had them move the stone away. He could have just as well said stone move away and it would have jumped out of place. But he had them do something. He's got his own purposes. And Lazarus comes forth and he is bound. Now, if we claim to have been one of those who is born again, and we are Christians, 
then we ought to live in newness of life. Unbind him. Take these grave clothes off of him. Loose him and let him go. If you have grave clothes bound about you and you're living like the old person who is still dead in sin, you're not any testimony for the Lord. Take the grave clothes off. Unwind them. Throw them away. Get rid of them. You, you ever see, did you see that Scrooge uh, film? There's a, a wonderful thing they show at Christmas about every year. Uh, and it shows uh, Alec Guinness playing the part of uh, Jacob Morley, who had died. And I can still remember how frightened some of our kids were when they watched it, because they, he comes, you know, all bound up in those chains, and they have a napkin that ties his jaw up like that, and it's around him. Well, if I, like that, were trying to speak to you, and I can't, uh, that shows I, I'm not free of the grave clothes. Do you witness for Jesus? Are you just dead in sin? If he has brought you back from sin and death and made you new and alive in him, do you have any concern to witness to another person? You ought to. Let me digress just a minute. The other night we took uh, Nathan down to Charlotte to put him on an airplane for Bangladesh. We had read the scripture and had a little prayer in the airport. And uh, I said, what do you want me to pray for? He said, pray that I'll be able to witness to someone next to me on the airplane. Now that's good. You ought to do that. I thought he was going to say, pray that I don't get black tongue or fever or leprosy or yellow. You know, something. I am praying for that. But uh, pray that I can witness. Do you ever pray that you can witness to another person about faith in Jesus Christ? If you don't witness for him, why don't you? Are you bound? Then pray that those grave clothes can be taken away and that you will witness uh, for the Lord. Well, Lazarus becomes a great witness, so much so that the Jews plot to put him to death later on because uh, they want to put him to death again. You see how hard their hearts are? Ben Hayden said, if I had been there and seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe it. And there were people who were there and saw it with their own eyes, and they didn't believe it either. And they still are today. There has to be a miracle that occurs in the heart to believe. Well, Jesus, after this mighty resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, uh, we come to this great occasion where a feast. Uh, Alan puts on these feeds in his home down in Miami, uh, for people to introduce them to the Savior. Here's a sort of banquet similar to that. Uh, there, Martha and Mary. Martha uses her talent. She is cooking the best recipes she's got to feed Jesus. There is a banquet there. They are happy because their brother is from the dead. Mary who has heard him predict that he will go to the cross and die and is caught on better than the disciples themselves have, brings out some ointment that costs 300 days' work to buy. I don't know what the wage would average wage would be in America, 4 or $5 an hour for people 
eight hours a day, if you take it $32 a day, six days a week, and add it up for 300 days, oh, what, what have you got at the end of the year? Ten or $12,000 worth of ointment. Very expensive. Who gripes about it? Judas. And John can't help but get in the thing when Judas says, why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Do we give anything costly to Jesus? There is an ignorance in love and an understandable extravagance too. And uh, he means for us to demonstrate that love. Love is always going to be that way. We become extravagant with people that we love. We want to feed them the best food that we've got. We want to uh, do the best we can for them to demonstrate and to show. And this was what they were seeking to do here. And that is an interesting thing. And it's something that we ought to do too. And then uh, I don't have time to get to the rest of it. But when you think about Lazarus being there as one of those who reclines at the table, his life is a great witness for the Lord. Martha does what she can for the Lord with her practical mindedness. Mary does what she can by understanding what he is going through and by anointing his feet with that costly ointment in love. And each of them demonstrate to us that we ought to witness for Jesus in the way that we can. Then I want to come back, and I hope you can catch this, this poetry. It's a little bit hard to understand, but it's well worth having come to church today. So o'er the bed where Lazarus slept, he to his father groaned and wept. Remember, he's going to defeat death. What saw he mournful in that grave, knowing himself so strong to save? Now what made him weep? The deaf may hear the Savior's voice. The fettered tongue its chain may break. He had made people who couldn't speak able to speak. People who couldn't hear able to hear. But now listen, but the deaf heart, the deaf heart, the dumb by choice, the laggard soul that will not wait, the guilt that scorns to be forgiven, these baffle even the spells of heaven. In thought of these, his brows benign, not even in healing cloudless shine. The thing that hurts him the most is that even after raising Lazarus from the dead, even going to the cross to die for us and coming back again, that there are still people who don't want to be forgiven, whose hearts are deaf by choice, who will not yield to his love. Are you one of those? Has he touched your heart today so that you will respond? If you will, 
you can ask him right now to come into your heart. I'm sorry that I've been long. I want us to sing this hymn, even if it's over time. And make it a prayer. May the mind of Christ my Savior make it your prayer of devotion to the Lord.